0: Pro tip for clients who are about to hang you out to dry, one, you should never launch this without getting paid first. But Welcome to the Matt Report, the number one WordPress business podcast. This isn't Geek Speak, it's about the journey of success and failure as a WordPress entrepreneur. Get ready, you're just an episode away from your next aha experience or big idea. And now your host, Matt.
1: Episode 47. Today, my guest is Brian Richards, who started a theme called Startbox, works for a company called Web Dev Studios, and is also doing something called WP Sessions, which is like an online WordCamp uh, of sorts where you get to come and learn from some of the top uh, talent in the WordPress industry. Uh, I really like Brian's take on freelancing, on being an entrepreneur, on doing great work. One of the best parts of this. Is he never really considered himself an entrepreneur in all of this? He's not quite sure where he gets it from, so it's gonna be interesting hearing that story and seeing how successful he's become um, without having the business on the forefront, right? Sort of just doing this for the love and finding good stuff come from it. A couple house. Keeping rules, as always, uh, I'd like to, if you're interested in the show, you like it, iTunes, uh, I'm on there. Would love a, a rating. I always ask for a five-star. At this point, if, even if you want to give me a one-star, as long as I get some feedback on iTunes, I'll be happy uh, with that. Uh, mattreport.com, mattreport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list, uh, and I'll email you when these awesome shows come out. Uh, other than that, look forward to a great episode, and we'll see you on the flip side. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing Matt Report episode. Today, joined by a former guest, somebody who moved up the charts right to VIP back number two spot, Brian Richards. Brian, welcome to the show. For the folks who don't know, who are you? What do you do?
0: Sure. My name is Brian Richards. I currently work for Web Dev Studios, which is an amazing company. Uh, we get to work on some really cool projects. Um, formerly of Startbox fame, a uh, theme framework that I released in 2010 and I'm still actively developing. In fact, it's now a Web Dev Studios project. And most recently, I have launched a site called WPSessions.com where I bring in experts who are much smarter than myself to talk about really cool aspects of WordPress from development to security to theme design you name it, uh, they will show up and teach. Uh, it's kind of like a mini WordCamp. Broadcast digitally—that's
1: awesome. Um, it's something that uh, that I've tuned into. It's it's a great it's a great resource, um, and it's definitely part of that whole like WordPress media thing that I, that I like to talk about. You know, folks who are who are doing things with either podcasts or video sessions or like virtual WordCamps like you're um, diving into. Um, but before we get to that, let's kind of talk about how you get into WordPress. Do you, do you remember what your first either service Contract was or sale was that said, you know what, I, I, I want to make this my living. Like, I, I want to pursue WordPress as, as a career.
0: Sure. So let's step back even further than that. Um, I got my first computer when I was a sixth grader. So I think I was maybe 11 or so, and discovered HTML almost right away. I was hanging out in a Yahoo chat programming chat room and uh, got turned on to Tripod. Uh, which is kind of like GeoCities in the sense that they give you free hosting to put up a really crappy website. But I thought it was great. I, I soaked it up, and from that point on, I have been interested in the web and how fast it moves and what I can do with it. Um, so throughout high school and college, I was doing freelance stuff, just making simple HTML-based sites because that was all I knew, HTML and CSS. And I really wanted to be able to provide my clients with something that they could control. My senior year of college, I was doing an independent study, and someone pointed me in the direction of WordPress, and I was blown away. I'd heard of it briefly before that, but I thought it was just for blogging. And then I started to realize that all of these sites that I was visiting on the Internet said, Powered by WordPress in the bottom, and they didn't look anything like each other. I thought, this is incredible. And so I tried it out. I took some HTML and CSS I'd written, and I put it into a theme. And lo and behold, it worked. And not only did it work, but it gave me control to access and update the content and give that control to a client. I built a site for myself called photoshopkid.com. It might still be in existence. I'm not sure if I renewed the domain or not. But that was my first real foray into WordPress. Then I uh, picked up a client. Um, my very next client, I said, hey, I'm going to set you up on this thing so that you can update the site yourself. And they loved it. And uh, I'm surprised that they loved it. This was back uh, pre-WordPress 2.0. I think it was about 2.3-ish. So the interface wasn't that friendly for them. But they thought it was great. They didn't need a computer science degree to know how to change their site. And uh, I didn't have to Sit at my phone at their beck and call to get it running.
1: <laughs> um, let's talk about that Photoshop site real quick. Were you, you know, doing the whole like Google Ads thing, trying to just do some affiliate stuff? Was that or was that just a, a love for the for the Photoshop stuff? And you were kind of just blogging about it?
0: That was actually just my interest in Photoshop. I made it so I would have a, a home for doing tutorials, and I was actually going to focus on Photoshop, Illustrator a little bit, and photography tips. Nice. And uh, I didn't get very far.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that because you started getting service uh,
0: yeah, clients? Yeah, pretty much. I spent all of my time building the site, and I made it so that it actually looked like Photoshop. I think it was Photoshop CS3 at the time. So the navigation was the layers palette, and uh, I had the tool palette on there. It didn't do anything. You could just drag it around, and then all of the content showed up in just a Photoshop canvas, and the entire interface was draggable and stuff.
1: Was that website sort of a lead-in to folks finding you to, to hire you?
0: Not really. Okay. Um, it was more just to, to say, here's some cool stuff you can do with Photoshop, and here's how to do it. Nice.
1: So do you remember what your first WordPress project was for a paid client and kind of how that experience went?
0: Uh, yeah, I believe my first paid WordPress gig was building a site for my old uh, school district back home. And I had a, a long-standing relationship with them. I used to work in their tech department, so I knew everyone really well. So it was a very comfortable thing. And i had actually helped them with their previous site and said, hey, I've got something that's much better than what that is, if you want to give it a shot.
1: What was it like to pitch a content management system back then versus today?
0: Sure. So it was actually a very easy pitch for me, because like I said, I knew them very well. So the The guy who was the technology director at the time actually worked with me when I was um, an employee there. So I just said to him, hey, Travis, what do you think about this? And I pointed him in the direction of WordPress. It's free. It's open source, which he likes because he's a a big Unix guy. In fact, all of the servers that they have, he set up. and The telephone system, he set up all using free open source tools. And so that jived with him. And uh, I said I could make something that's much better than the site we have now. In fact, we could set it up so that every staff person has their own site if they wanted.
1: Mm, very cool. you remember what, what you charged for that back then?
0: Uh, not enough. <laughs> I think that was a $2,000 project, and I put a couple of months of work into it.
1: Nice. So. Not a bad average for back then, and, and maybe one of your very first few clients. I mean, we hear some stories of folks who are trying to get you know two hundred bucks for their first yeah. WordPress site. So overall, not that bad on the average. Did you take that experience and say I'm going to pursue freelancing, or did you take that experience and say you know what I, I can build off of this for another company? I can you know get hired now that I have this talent. How did you progress from there?
0: Uh, so that happened. Well, I was still in college. That was my senior year of college, um, or between my junior and teen year. And also at that time, I had decided to uh, hook up with an agency that was on the opposite side of the state for me. So it was about a four-hour drive, uh, a three-hour drive. And then I stayed with my cousin, who lived on that side of the state, which was still another 45-minute drive. And that was both awesome and not awesome, and uh, it, it reaffirmed that I wanted to do freelance. Mm.
1: Yeah, over on the East Coast, uh, I'm about 45 minutes to an hour away from Boston, and folks don't eat the the, 90, the 24 to 95 route. People do not want to drive it. They don't want to spend an hour in traffic. They certainly don't want to spend the average of two hours, but four hours, uh, and especially if you hit traffic, I can only imagine um, what that was like. Uh, you know, doing that on it on on the daily. Um, so let's talk about that experience. What were they offering? Were they offering WordPress stuff back then, mm-hmm. or was it just a, a typical web shop?
0: They were just a typical web shop. In fact, they were working with Ruby on Rails, which was just getting wow. off the ground. So they were yeah. they were right at the forefront of building really cool stuff. And I was actually hired as a designer, so I wasn't doing any development in any capacity at all. Mm. And uh, it was a pretty good gig until I realized that. Uh, it wasn't the right fit for me, hmm. and then it started to wear on me. And I kept thinking, like, I don't think I need to be here. And I'm like, well, no, the money's really good. I should stay here, and I'm learning some really cool things. But no, no, I shouldn't. I, I should leave and find something back home. Hmm. And uh,
1: how long? How long into that job did you start to have those feelings?
0: I would say it was about three or four months, hmm. and then uh, ended up getting out of it. Right about the four month mark, Mm. just before the school semester started, which was a huge relief because I wasn't sure how I was going to manage this job that was three hours away plus classes. Yeah. So,
1: so going back to school, of course, is, is one interesting roadblock in that, in that journey. But let's say you didn't have to go to school, many, back to school, many folks would probably say, you know what, Brian, just stick it out for a year, you know, learn some more, make some more money, save up, that kind of thing. Um, you know, had you not had to go back to school, would you have stayed for a year or was there something there that was just like, you know what, this is just not a good fit for me?
0: I would not have stayed. There yeah. there was definitely some strange thing. Part of it was that um they because it was so far away, I had negotiated to work four 10-hour days instead of five 8-hour days, so I was just there Monday through Thursday. But because I was so new, they didn't quite trust me with like keys to the building or anything like that. And so like the days that I would get there early, if I'm like, I'm really on the ball, I'm going to get there, I'm going to start early. No one was there, so I couldn't get started. And the, the days that I showed up late, I have just said, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll work 10 minutes later, no problem, I'll make up for this time. Well, everyone else wants to leave by 5 because they're not working a 10-hour day, so I had to get kicked out. And the apartment I was staying at with my cousin, she saw no need to have internet access in her apartment which is terrible for me as a person who works on the internet. So I couldn't really do any of my projects from, from her place. So um, it ended up not working very well at all uh, in terms of getting the hours in and, and such.
1: Um, so, the culture, let's talk about that for a little bit because there's always an interesting you know, dilemma of the freelancer who, you know, you fit a, a pretty good example that I like to bring up all the time. Going to school, getting your education, getting your degree, ready to jump out into the world. And if you're thinking freelancing, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I don't have a boss. I don't have anybody to report to. I can work from a coffee shop. I can work anywhere I want, really, with internet. Um, And then you've got the other side of it where folks think, hey, an agency is going to be great. These guys play, you know, uh, uh, ping pong during the day, they have food in the office. It's just one big, you know, uh, fun fest. Um, but then you have folks that really can't focus, uh, when they're freelancing, like they need an office to work from, they realize that, you know what, this having no boss thing is kind of scary (laughs) once they realize they have to actually get paid. Um, and then the culture at an agency of like leaving at five o'clock, like you're punching a time clock, is kind of awkward. Um, you know, what do you think for the freelancer going into an agency that they should expect? Um, and is there one better i mean do you do you see a path that people should take when they just graduate college
0: uh yeah, so I have lots of thoughts surrounding this <laughs> actually in fact, I wrote uh, a blog post a couple of years ago uh about working from home is not for the faint of heart, where I go in and break down these myths of you know how amazing it is to work from home and having no boss and there 's no commute and things like that and a, a quick Aside about the commute thing, I often bring this up with uh, people who have regular jobs, and uh, I ask them, you know, how how weird it is that we've just kind of accepted this fact that we have this, you know, 40 minutes where we can't do anything but sit in a car in order to have the opportunity to have the job that we have and live in the place where we want to live. And I I kind of play devil's advocate and say, you know, don't you think that's crazy that you're willing to just give up parts of your life like this? And uh, they go, huh, I hadn't really ever considered that aspect of it. You know, everyone's just, oh, of course, I've got a 30-minute commute. That's not terrible. Right.
1: Never, never uh-huh. mind the people that are sitting. Like my brother commutes same, almost the same distance. And he's on average in the Boston traffic, like an hour and a half, two hours a day. Forget it. If it snows, it's like two and a half, three hours. Yeah.
0: And, <laughs> Back that, and forth. that blows my mind. I wouldn't want anything more than maybe a 10-minute commute ever. Exactly. exactly. Anyway, so I wrote this post and I talk about how terrible it is to work from home, but then in the end I come back and say, like, well, actually, it's, it's very amazing, and here are all of the great qualities, in fact, ones that people don't even talk about. Um, I would challenge people who think they have to go to college to get the job that they want to instead maybe focus on just testing out the career that they want first. I knew this, actually, even before going into college, in fact, my degree is in photography, and i went entirely to have the experience of meeting people and going out on my own in a fairly, you know, safe environment many would argue that college isn't safe but it's far more structured than just saying okay goodbye my mom and dad i'm going to leave home and go to a completely foreign city i have no experience paying any bills or or you know making my own meals or any of that so it was a very structured, you know, uh opportunity but i knew that i didn't need it to get the job that i wanted whether i wanted to go into photography or web design or whatever i knew that experience counted And I'd say that's especially true today. In fact, people getting out of college looking for the jobs that they want are getting roadblocked because they don't have the experience. They've got this periphery knowledge but not actual working knowledge of what they're trying to do. And so their best opportunity at that point is to pick up an unpaid internship or a volunteer position uh, or some lower-paying position in some far-offset reaches of what they want to do before they can actually get into what they want to do. Or maybe they find out that what they thought they wanted to do is not what they wanted to do at all. And so they've spent four years, six years working on a degree for something that they realize they hate. So step one is figure out what you want to do and try it for a while to see if you actually want to invest the next four to six years of your life and $80,000 before you can even start getting paid to do that thing. What do you um, think,
1: what do you, before you move on to your next step, what do you think would be like the best way for somebody to do that just hop into like an internship maybe try to see if you could shadow somebody that kind of thing
0: yeah i would say either of those are a really good opportunity Um, or an apprenticeship of some kind Um, one of my favorite things to read about from the past is apprenticeships and how people were able to just say well i think i'm going to go into this trade and then they partnered up with someone and they learned everything they needed to learn until they started getting their own paycheck from it Uh, yeah so step one figure out what you want to do and try it before you invest lots of time and lots of money that you don't have into learning it. Um, number two, I'd say it's important to work for the man before you can be the man. Uh, even though that agency job that I had wasn't the right fit for me, like I said, I learned a lot of very important things about billing that, uh, and running a company that I had no idea about when I was doing freelancing prior to this. You know, I didn't realize that I should be accounting for the time that I'm calling the client or emailing the client or the time that I'm just thinking about a project before I even begin the project, even though it'd be weird to put those as line items and an invoice that I send them, I need to account for that time in in the estimate that I'm providing and um, ultimately the the work I'm getting paid for. Uh, And so I learned that and so many other incredible things about having a business that I would never have picked up just on my own. So uh, it was a really great stepping stone for me. And in fact, on my way out the door, they ended up giving me a client that was too small for them that was just the right size for me to sustain me for another month. So that was a pretty cool deal. That's
1: great. The yeah. I love the quote, it's important to work for the man before you can be the man. Um, so often I see, especially with some of the interns that we bring in, is they just don't, you know, we try to obviously like every good web agency is going to do is find the happy balance between creating something great and falling in the lines of the budget. <laughs> yep. Um, it's always a give and take. It's always something that, you know, you're kind of going back and forth with the client. Here's all they can afford or, uh, they get us, you know, we get to squeeze out one more feature that we sorted it in agree on, but we'll do it kind of thing. Um, on the flip side of that is, the man's trying to run a business, and the developer's thinking, "No, no, no, I can't do this." Or especially designers, they are like, "No, no, no, that that can't be done." Or I can't spend any more time tweaking this. I already spent so much time changing colors of whatever. Um, but if you're not, if you if you don't get that experience of billing, um, creating invoices, negotiating prices, doing the discovery sessions, and and God forbid the worst part is the accounts receivable, right? When somebody doesn't pay you, oh yeah, <laughs> and then you have to track that down. That's a whole new world. So it's one thing to be like, oh, my boss sold a website for 10,000 bucks, you know, and he only paid me, you know, 2,500 bucks to do it. You know, the other, the flip side is all the costs, the taxes, the overhead of running that business, and then waiting for the client to pay you. You've already been paid, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Developer. Now I have to go chase that client. So there's some, some stuff things in there that folks might not be privy to uh, when they start their own business.
0: There's a lot of scary things (laughs) like that. Um, Pro tip for clients who are about to hang you out to dry, one, you should never launch their site without getting paid first. Bingo. When you ultimately break that rule because you say, well, I can trust this client, we've got a good relationship, and you launch the site anyway, don't give them all of the keys. Reserve a couple for yourself so that if they do hang you out to dry, you can... um, make sure that they're aware that you can turn their site back off I had a client who was very uh, slow to pay and I learned later on that this is kind of how he was with everyone but uh, he I, I learned from someone who's working with him that yeah, he's probably not going to pay you for another couple of months uh, he's told me this I said, oh really he told you that okay so in my invoice I I put in a standard 10 net 30 where I added 10 percent to the bill unless he paid within 30 days, and he didn't, and uh, then another 30 days passed, and I said, look, I've been very patient, and I really appreciate what you're trying to do with this site, but I can't afford to work for free, and if I can't get paid soon, I'm going to have to turn the site back off until you're able to pay for it, and uh, that, that spoke to him loud and clear, and I got a paycheck that week.
1: Mm. That's a tremendous prototype. Yeah, <laughs> coupled with a real-world experience. Yeah. So, um, That's great. Uh, there's, so, there's some other things I want to get into. I want to talk about how your, how did Startbox come up? Um, what were the thoughts on that? How did that
0: come about? Sure. It was a fairly organic process. When I was starting with WordPress, I, the first few sites that I was doing, I didn't really have a good you know, base from what I was working with, and so every site was somewhat different. The code base was completely different. And then I came across a theme called Sandbox, which blew my mind. It was just a really ugly-looking theme. It had no, no real design at all. But I saw this little showcase that they'd put together, and it looked dramatically different. And all that was changing was the CSS. It was kind of like the CSS Zen Garden. And they had actually pioneered a few functions that found their way into WordPress core later, called Body Class, Post Class, and Comment Class. And what these do is add dynamically different classes to the body tag, to the post um, container, and to the comment container based on you know what you're viewing on the site so that you can target that thing and style it differently. And this unlocked so many possibilities in my mind of like, oh, wow, I could style the site to look differently during the month of December. I could style the shop category to look different from the frogs category to look different from the you know general news category things like that i could make posts that are in this category have a different you know background or different icon next to their title all of these things and so i used that for uh, probably about 6 to 10 months before i realized that i kept making the same set of changes to the theme so i thought well i'll just merge these changes into the theme itself and i'll rename it to startbox because it's sandbox, but it's my starting theme. And I used that for about a year and a half or so before I realized that other people probably wanted the exact same tools that I'd built for myself to use on the sites that they're making. And so then I spent the next year rewriting it from the ground up, basically, because I had you know pieces of code from this tutorial and from that tutorial, and it was just a terrible mess that no one should ever be forced to use. And I wrote something that I thought was pretty decent. And then I put it out for sale and sure enough, people were excited to use it.
1: Mm. You brought something up before where you said you, you kind of had the foresight to, to understand you needed some experience, um, you know, in a business, we talked about the apprenticeship, shadowing, that kind of thing. Is it because you've, you've always had the, uh, the desire to be an entrepreneur. You've always been an entrepreneur. And was this your, when you, when you started Starbucks w- was, was that always in the back of your mind? Like I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to sell this
0: theme. It wasn't, uh, initially it, it be- certainly became the drive later on when I realized mm-hmm. that, wow, I've got a product here that people might actually want and I could definitely get paid for this and either supplement my client work or even forego client work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that definitely became the drive down the road. Uh, I never really considered myself to be uh, having this entrepreneurial force, but looking back at my history, that is definitely the case. Going yes. from, <laughs> yeah. like, even even at a young age, knowing before, you know, like in high school, thinking, like, well, I don't really need to go to college. I could just start working on whatever it is I want to do.
1: Well, that and that, that's what makes me wonder if... In the back of your mind, you were always thinking of building something. And, and not by, I don't mean a product, but I mean the business, the legacy, you know, wh- who you are, what, you're, what you stand for, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, curious if, um, if it was just something that you were raised with or you just ha- have been exposed to it, um, you know, through something else.
0: I'm not really sure where I picked that up. Both of my parents have had very traditional jobs. Uh, my mm. mom's retired now, my dad's almost retired. But, yeah, I, yeah I'm not sure where that came from. <laughs>
1: so what year was uh, did you officially launch the Startbox?
0: Uh, Startbox went up for sale in 2010. Okay. And so we are actually, I think this week is the third year that it's been available for the public. Wow. And now cool. it's available for free. I realized about halfway through that that I didn't want to stop budding developers from using it. I know that I personally would have never gotten it had I saw that it had a price tag, I'd have said, well forget that, I'll just pick up this free theme and modify it to meet my needs. And so mm-hmm. I put it out there for for guys like myself who weren't going to open up their wallet and instead uh decided to charge exclusively for support and for uh child themes that I had made for it. So I could say, mm-hmm. you know, here's all of the different things that you can do with Starbucks and if you want to, you know, take this up and modify it, you can buy it.
1: There's a lot of discussion going on lately about WordPress theme companies' sustainability, prices, yearly prices, support. Um, really starting to see some of this stuff um, go through some growing pains. This is the best way I can I yeah. can put it. Um, you know, what were the challenges you faced when you launched, and um, you know, why did why the eventual free um, set and and all that good stuff.
0: Sure. So, I also saw these dangers uh, early on. Um, I talked to a lot of the theme guys before I put my shop up, and you know, what are your experiences? You know, how do your customers handle things? And um, I learned right away that I should not do a lifetime membership because eventually the clients are going to keep coming back with questions, and I'm not going to be making any money from from helping them. And, I mean, that's not to say that I shouldn't be altruistic and help them anyway, but at some point I'm not going to be able to afford to help them because I'll be out of money and I'll have to work at another job that's taking up all my time, and then they're kind of just out of luck. So uh, I learned right away to, to not do a lifetime membership, and that has worked out fairly well for me, but then the... uh The other side of the coin is, well, now you have to keep providing value if you want them to return to renew their license, to buy other products. And I think that's a good thing because it puts it on me to not just, you know, kind of rest on my laurels and stop releasing things. I have to continue to put out quality work. I have to continue to impress them with the customer service that they're receiving. Otherwise, they'll just walk away. Right. Right.
1: Uh, Again, that's some tremendous foresight um 2010 mm, i guess would be right around when it started to to fire up like themes and theme forest uh we're starting to get super popular yep. and, and we started to see some of the the all-stars rising uh you know did you have any any roadblocks with selling or, or marketing the theme or is it just too much all at once what was it about getting it off the ground
0: um to make it that sustainable? Ah, uh, sure. So I I basically fell flat right after I launched. I had a huge launch, and that was very successful. And then things kind of trickled up. And that was all on me. I did zero marketing whatsoever because I had thrown off the shackles of client work, I had said, to work exclusively on Startbox for about the last three months prior to launch so I could get it all polished, get the documentation out the door, get the site launched, you know, get a few child themes ready to ship with it. And I made it and got out the door and then I had no money left. I'd started to get paid from the theme sales, of course, but that only served to offset how I had depleted savings to get to that point. And so I never uh, had the right amount left to invest into AdWords campaigns or you know, banner ads on different sites. And so I wasn't able to bring in the audience that I needed in order for it to be the smashing success that I was hoping for. So I picked up client work again and uh, used that to offset the cost of developing Startbox. And that was going really well. And uh, I made another big splash the following summer. I had a great big promotion, brought in tons of new customers, uh, spoke about it at a couple of WordCamps. And then I got picked up by one of my clients as a full-time gig. They offered me a, a very, uh, I wouldn't say lucrative, but a very attractive offer. It was uh, one of my friends, actually. So I get to work full-time with a buddy, and I thought this would be great. They'll, you know, they'll pay me, and I can keep working at Starbucks and use it for all of our stuff. And uh, that ended up falling flat uh, as well, for, for Starbucks at least, because it, it mm. took so much of my focus away.
1: Right right so especially people in my audience and a lot of folks that are just now seemingly getting into wordpress to start their wordpress business they hear stories like yours and it's like well i just you know started a, started a, a starter theme and then i i made some child themes designed it threw it together uploaded it to dot org you know sent it out for free and then i had a paid version really quite really quite simple um <laughs> but under the hood um you know, it, this this product took you a long time to build. Um, child themes just, you know, didn't create themselves. What kind of overhead were you looking at, you know, when you first initially started? Like six months, nine months to develop everything and, and get it the way it was on launch? Um, give folks a, a sample of what the timeline actually was so they don't think that you just did it in a weekend. Or did you do it in uh, a weekend?
0: Uh <laughs> That's that's a good primer. I had a presentation that I gave in Chicago uh, at WordCamp Chicago. I think it was 2011, and uh, it was about being successful and you know overcoming these myths of the overnight success and the uh, reality of of all of these successes that you see is they've got about 10,000 hours of work already put in um, before they they get to be the success that you see and to put that in perspective that's about five years of working eight hours a day five days a week to to become a so-called expert in what you're doing and for startbox it was considerably less time to develop but i had already put in my time becoming the developer who could build it so like i said i had I had started with it maybe in 2009. So I was working with it for about a year and a half. And then it took about six months to completely redevelop it to get it out for launch. And then another uh, six months or so to get the first six child themes out. So about a month apiece for the theme, which I'd say is pretty good. And uh, then zero time into any marketing or, or promotional efforts, which, of course, if you build it, they will not come if you build it and tell them that it exists and tell them why they should care about it then they'll come and then if you make a compelling enough offer of you know this is exactly what you've been looking for and, and why you want this over every other possible opportunity then they'll open up their wallet and share some of their hard-earned dollars with you
1: yeah that's uh that's a great that's a great story and that's a uh, it's a great fact right because a lot of the folks that we see they're not spending the time marketing and it's it's really not their fault because you know as developers and even just as a general entrepreneur we get so excited about our ideas yep. and we're just like this is awesome like we <laughs> who's not gonna want to buy this right like woo themes who right i'm gonna build this and they will come and they will buy this from me because it's just tremendous or the design is so great and you're like, this is the most beautiful theme ever. Of course you're going to come buy this, um, you know. but it's not the case. Uh, let me ask you this question. Do you think that the folks who buy themes, and especially folks that buy frameworks or starter themes in order to build somebody's site for them, do you think there's enough... I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. Do you think the price to utility of a theme the ratio is enough where somebody who's a WordPress you know, junior developer might say, you know what, I'm going to buy a Starbucks, I'm going to buy a Canvas, and I'm going to buy a studio press. I'm going to spend 1000 bucks and have this toolbox of stuff that I can do for my clients. Do you think folks fall into that, or do they just get married to one solution within WordPress?
0: So I think that's kind of a, a twofold thing. Uh, one, I don't think they do that because I, I think many people misplace the value in these tools right so people look at a theme and i go oh my gosh this is a hundred dollars or this is seventy dollars i just don't know if it's worth it let me shop around some more but to hire someone to build you a custom site that looks as good as one of these finished polished themes it's obviously going to cost you vastly more than 75 dollars so uh but we it's commoditized right so we're like oh well I'm going to get the theme, it's only $60 because it looks almost as good and it it saves me $15. I think more people should approach it, especially people running a business of, I'm going to, or just getting started, I'm going to set myself up with a toolbox so I can cater to all of the different types of needs of the clients I'm going to have. But there's an obvious challenge of picking up several different frameworks in that each one works slightly differently. So you're either going to have to become very familiar with all of them and uh, remember from client to client, oh, yeah, this one's on Genesis, this one's on uh, Catalyst, this one's on Starbucks, this one's on Canvas, or uh, you kind of put all of your chips with one person and say, I'm going to focus entirely on this. I'm going to learn it inside and out, and it's going to be great, and all of my clients will run on the same site so that no matter what I do, I have the same procedure for everything. And I think that option is actually the better choice because you can do more faster because you're more familiar with everything. That's why I built Starbucks for myself so that all my clients were doing the same thing. But it's also a dangerous choice, right? Because maybe a, one of these shops closes up their doors or something else. But there's beauty in the sense that it's open source and even if they're done, you still have all of the code. And if you've been working with it enough, you're familiar enough to uh, extended as you need. And if it's making you enough money, you can continue to, you know, hire people, experts like security or Jake to review, uh, to take audits of the change that you're making to it so that it's still secure and, and stable for all of your clients, even, even long term. Cool.
1: Very cool. Let's, uh, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, how did you get involved with web dev um and your position there? Sure.
0: Now? So, I mentioned very briefly that um right after Starbucks started to pick up again, I picked up a full-time position working for a friend or working with a friend for another company, and I thought that was brilliant and um until I got put into a management position, which was another tremendous learning opportunity for me, but not necessarily what I wanted to be doing long term. And so I didn't get to be a developer for very, very long. I ended up leading a team of about four other people, both designers and developers. And I was kind of like the middleman. I'm taking projects from the marketing team and from the, the business team and then sending it out to my guys saying, okay, we need you to build this, we need you to build this. Oh, this one sounds like a lot of fun. Let me know how it goes because I'm very interested in it. But never actually getting to build any of the things. And so... Uh, I kind of got drained from that, and Startbox took a serious hit because instead of having extra hours in the day to work on Startbox again, I now had even fewer hours in the day. And so I, I wasn't even necessarily looking to leave the job. I didn't realize I had these feelings until I was chatting with Brad from WebDev about uh, a new hire they were looking for. Um, I actually had a friend in mind, and it turns out he didn't. He was not looking for a job. Uh, he liked what he was doing at the time. And uh, then I realized, wait a minute, I fit this description perfectly. Hey, Brad, have I mentioned that I do WordPress? You're like, yeah, uh, I realize that you did. In fact, I assumed that you were talking to me because you wanted this job. Well, I do now. And so uh, that turned out to be an amazing decision. I I put in my two weeks at my former employer. Uh, in fact, they they asked, like, is there any chance that we could keep you? I said, I don't think so. You'd basically have to double what you're paying me, and I don't think that's worth it for the work you have me doing. Like, yeah, you're right. We we can't do that. So long.
1: <laughs> and now, this was a business that you worked uh, with your friend yep. at. It was was it his business?
0: No. Uh, okay. But he had just he had made it uh, much of what it is now. He started working there when it was still a very small company. And they were doing gotcha. maybe three hundred thousand to four hundred thousand a year in sales. And by the time I left, and he actually had left just a month prior to me, it was like seven to ten million dollars a year in revenue.
1: Wow! And this is a web agency?
0: Uh, no, actually, it was a magazine that also had oh, a, okay. a very strong web presence.
1: Very cool. Um, so that experience. So now, fast forward to where you are uh, with web dev. Um, that experience of working for a pure uh, WordPress um, studio, what, what has that been like? And, and have you still been able to uh, learn from this experience? Yes,
0: so far I can tell you it's been amazing. There, there mm-hmm. are times um, that I always, you know the longing is always there to be my own boss, to set my own hours, to do my own thing. But those get uh, stifled very quickly when I realize all of the amazing opportunities that are afforded by this position for one, I get to work with some really top-notch people. There are, I think, 15 of us now that work at WebDev. A lot of really major players in the WordPress space. And that is cool for me, first of all, to to learn firsthand from from these fine folks. Uh, The other opportunity is working with enormous clients like uh, MSNBC and Time, uh, the Dallas Museum of Art. Um, Big things that I would never have access to as an independent dev, right? one person couldn't possibly fill all of the needs that we're able to fill as web dev studios. And so that's a lot of fun to be able to tell my family, oh, by the way, I'm working on this client now. Like, oh, I know who they are. Yeah.
1: Now you are being the man. You are the man uh, with your new venture into WordPress media. Uh, how did you arrive upon this and uh, tell folks what it's all about?
0: Sure. So I happened on the idea of WP sessions almost accidentally. We were working on a, a client project at WebDev and I needed some very specific knowledge that I didn't have. I was doing some optimization and there was uh, a part of the project that I I wasn't the right person for. Someone else on the team was, and so that was that was fine, but I really wanted to know more about, you know, some database driven stuff and some some uh, writing some better queries for pulling out data. You're a really high-level nerdy junk. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be so great if I could just hire a couple of guys to give me a personal presentation? Like, I, I want to hire you for 40 minutes to tell me everything you can about this one thing. And I thought, that'd be kind of expensive. But I could sell tickets. I could make it a web event. And then it wouldn't really cost me anything. And everyone could learn from it. And I'm uh, like, whoa, that seems like a pretty good idea. And I knew that such a thing could be uh, fairly popular because WordSesh had happened uh, a few months prior to this, and that was a a smashing success. It was a completely free event. Everyone showed up for 24 hours of WordPress um, presentations, basically. But I specifically wanted to pay my presenters, which if you've ever been to a WordCamp and you didn't realize this, all of the presenters that are there are donating their time. They're working for free to teach you really amazing stuff, and I think that's incredible. Especially given that some of them are flying, you know, from across the country or maybe even around the world to to be where you are. And I think that's incredibly uh, generous of them. And so I wanted to set up a project to kind of offset that to to compensate them for their time because obviously they take some time to make this presentation and, of course, the time to give the presentation. And uh, so that's what I set out to do. I I contacted a bunch of WordPress experts, including the one and only Matt Report, to see if they'd be interested in showing up on my site to teach people about some facet of WordPress. And then I did a, a quick test run to see if people would even be willing to pay for tickets for something like this. And sure enough, uh, people were interested in in giving twenty dollars to get three hours of instruction, and it was a, a, a fairly good success. And so, I've lined up about fifty different presenters, going from uh, when I started in I think it was June, which carries me through to March or so. And for twenty bucks, you can show up. You can get a very specific, detailed course on what you want to learn about WordPress. And after a few months, the course actually becomes available for free and gets pushed out to WordPress.tv, which brings me to the second part of what I wanted to do, is create training resources that benefit the entire community. And so by charging just a little bit up front from attendees, I'm able to pay the presenters. And then after I've offset the cost of paying the presenters, release it for free so that Everyone can learn from it.
1: Nice, very nice. Um, so, you're doing one a month, right? Yep. is that correct? That's correct. Do you foresee yourself increasing that distribution a little bit more often um, because it does put you so far out on the calendar, or or do you find are you finding success with the once a month thing?
0: The once a month is good for me right now because it's something that I can just kind of casually set up and promote. And make sure that it happens uh, without having to stress so much about finding um, an audience, you know, for more than once per month. But I'm I'm leaning towards wanting to do maybe two a month because you're right; it, it puts me out so far. Like, oh hey, do you want to do this thing? Okay, how does next March work for you?
1: <laughs> right, 2014. Yeah,
0: um, and so for the month of September, actually, I'm going to attempt a much bigger session. It's going to cost a bit more, 40 bucks or $45, I think. But I'm bringing in six presenters, and it's going to be sort of a, a wordpress theme boot camp. We've got people talking about um, higher-level philosophy stuff of um, you know, working within the, a better user experience to working with CSS preprocessors like SAS and LESS to uh, building and, and selling commercial themes. Uh, I even have uh, a couple of guys from Automatic, um, Constantine Obenland and and Lance Willett talking about developing for a massive audience and their experience working with the underscore theme and the default themes from twenty eleven, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, and on.
1: Very nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so one would say that you you're more focused on the developer designer crowd. Um, yes. Versus maybe the beginner to WordPress yep, at the moment that so is you, definitely cool. at the moment
0: very yeah. cool I didn't want to take away from the awesome work that guys like uh Sean are doing with WP 101 or mm-hmm. um Bob WP as he's known on Twitter mm-hmm. with his uh WordPress classroom type stuff where he'll teach you mm-hmm. take you through uh getting up and running with the site very nice
1: what's what do you think the biggest challenge is for you right now
0: uh for WP sessions or in, in general Um,
1: let's go in general,
0: um, in general, having enough hours in the day, I have so many (laughs) things that I want to do and not enough time to do them. In fact, I often choose working on things over leisure activities, like watching a movie or playing a Mm. video game or something like that, because the work that I'm doing is just that exciting and fun. It's, it's weird. Mm.
1: Nice. Um, well, Brian's it been an awesome, uh, awesome formal interview. I do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, to sit down with us and share those stories. We're going to jump into the last few segments. Um, First segment, what's in your toolbox? What unique app are you using that maybe other folks don't know about uh, that you use uh, for productivity, for development, anything that you're using?
0: Mm. So my favorite tool, bar none, is Sublime Text 2. I stumbled Mm -hmm. across that last year, and it has completely changed my development workflow for the better. Uh, I love it because there are so many extensions for it, that I can basically custom tailor it to do exactly what I need. So I've got a linter in there so I can find out when my code is broken before I even save the file, um, an extension for Git so that I can see what lines I've changed since I last committed, and all sorts of things like that. Most uh, developers know about it, though, so that's not really a secret tool. Um, just recently, I've been getting into working on the command line more. So I've downloaded iterm2 for my terminal, and I switched to using the... Zsh shell, or mm. oh my z shell, and that has proved to be very cool. And I, thats I,
1: good because I've been looking for an alternative to regular Mac terminal. Yeah,
0: yeah. So look into iTerm two and Zsh, it gives you a lot of really cool things.
1: Will will do. Um, few questions from the uh, listeners. Uh, first question comes from Carrie Dills at C Dills on Twitter. Ask him why he's always upside down. (laughs) Wink.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so my avatar for everything, for Facebook, for Twitter, for my gravatar on comments, is a photo of me where I'm upside down. And I'm hesitant to ever change that because so many people recognize me as that, just a couple of bug-out eyes and just a mop of curly hair. In fact, it's, it's almost hazardous when I show up at events like WordCamps People don't recognize me, of course, and then they see my Twitter handle or my Twitter avatar and they go, oh, you're that guy.
1: <laughs> um, second question uh, comes from Robert Nyberg at RobSearch on Twitter. What is the biggest challenge working with WordPress today?
0: Mm, that's a good one. I would say being adaptive. And, and that's true regardless of whether you're working with WordPress or, or the rest of the web, but you know, being flexible enough to to know what 's coming and to change your styles to match for that you know there's lots of talk about um, most web platforms moving towards a, a more javascript based approach and we see that happening in WordPress core with the new media manager from three five that was completely written using backbone to the heartbeat API that was introduced in three six so that uh, data can um, Traverse WordPress more freely, more quickly. If you had JavaScript uh, and etc., and now we've got theme shops like the Theme Foundry who release their collections theme that's powered almost entirely by JavaScript. Um, so there's there's shifts like that to be prepared for, and then there's also shifts in um, how content is being managed. From you know, we've switched from just posts and pages to custom post types, and now we're talking about post formats and even more adaptive ways of working with content in the editor in WordPress where you don't even need to necessarily use post format, but you've got these content blocks that you could drop in potentially. Um, So lots of really cool things happening, lots of changes to be aware of, but you also have to be ready to kind of put the brakes on, right? So you you have to be aware of the changes and be ready to roll with them, but not quite yet because they take a lot of time to develop.
1: Right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Let's jump into the lightning round where I ask you a series of quick questions and you will have a series of quick answers. Go for it. The one plugin you cannot live without. I
0: love Gravity Forms above all others. Whenever I'm launching a site, I tell people, regardless of what they're doing, you should probably get Gravity Forms because it'll be good for you.
1: Absolutely. A favorite WordPress or business book?
0: I love professional WordPress plugin development. Um, not just because it's by my boss, uh, but because I learned <laughs> her a lot of really cool things. I've been working with WordPress for about three years before I cracked it open and realized, oh, wow, look at all the stuff that I didn't even know.
1: That Brad guy's pretty smart. Yeah. Uh, the other Brad. <laughs> uh, the, uh, a quote you live will run your business by.
0: Uh, I love the one that I shared earlier of you have to be the man, or you have to work for the man before you can be the man. Uh, it's important to learn from others as much as you can uh, to add to your own experiences. exactly
1: the best business or career advice you ever received
0: Uh, that would be hmm, a good question I never really got too much advice I kind of just jumped out and did it so my Mm -hmm. advice would be to spend at least a little bit of time researching but not so much that you have uh, decision paralysis like if you've Mm -hmm. figured out 90% of the equation you've you've wasted too much time Mm.
1: Uh, what's the longest client project ever took
0: Hmm, I had one that lasted about six months. Oh, that's not that no. bad.
1: Um, if you had to switch to another CMS, what would it be?
0: I hear that Drupal is fairly modular, <laughs> and that's interesting. I'd definitely explore that. I don't know if I'd end up with it, but I would, I'd look into it for sure.
1: When I was on the Dradcast, Brad almost killed me for saying Drupal way too many times. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who should I interview next? Uh,
0: I would say either my coworker, uh, Justin. He does a lot of really cool things. Um, or Nason or Mark Jaquith to hear about their experiences with building WordPress Core, or any of the guys who are working in WordPress Core, honestly. Tremendous.
1: Uh, is there one question I didn't ask you that I should have?
0: Hmm. No, you pretty much covered the, the palette of Brian Richards. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh,
1: well Brian it's been a tremendous uh, episode I'm sure folks are going to take a lot away from this where can folks find you to say thanks
0: uh, they can find me on twitter as risen but that's spelled R-Z-E-N and then my personal blog is risen.net same deal R-Z-E-N.net
1: and WP Sessions is that?
0: yeah WPSessions.com of course my, my fun new project <laughs> you probably want to check that out if you want to learn cool wordpress things
1: Sweet. Well, Brian, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll hopefully, I'm sure, in six months to eight months get you back on, because I'm sure you're going to have some other awesome experiences to share. Oh well, cool. I look forward to it. Awesome, Brian. Thanks yeah, a lot. thank you. What a tremendous episode with Brian. I'm so glad he was able to join us, uh, give us some of his feedback on being a freelancer and a professional WordPress developer. Uh, if that's what you're setting out to do definitely definitely take some notes from this episode you have to work for the man before you become the man uh, awesome advice from brian this track is called prophecy from zero project just had something so epic with the name risen to go with Matt map from the map report airport.com slash subscribe we'll see you next time